You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Turn to the book of Job, which is in the Bible. If you open the Bible to the middle, it's Psalms, and then go a few, one book back, it's the book of Job. You can look up on the screen, I'm going to read this passage. It's the, the book of Job, chapter 1, starting in verse 20. This is right at the end of, of the tragedy that bestows Job. He goes through, he loses his house, and he uh, loses all his stuff. He loses ten of his children, and he's given this horrible skin disease. And he, uh, verse 20 says, At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. These ancient symbols of, of just being in total disarray and in grief. Shave your head, rip your clothes. He fell to the ground in worship. So it's this awesome response from Job, even though all these bad things happen. And he says, The famous lines, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Let's pray this morning. God, as we study this this book of of Job, this profound um, book, God, we ask that you would give us insight into it. Give us, um, allow us to understand suffering, allow us to understand the, the grief that, that we all have to go through in this life. God, allow us to, to understand these things. Allow us to glorify you. May our response be like Job's, that he blesses the name of the Lord in times of sorrow. God, we, we do worship you. We praise you this morning. And everybody screamed. Amen. All right. Well, yeah, we're talking about the book of Job. And Job has a really bad day. Um, he loses everything, including his children, and um, all on one day. He has a bad day. Not to be confused with this guy's song, um, bad, Had a Bad Day. Um, the, the song, I, I, I hate to call people one-hit wonders, but I, I would don't think anyone in here knows another song by Daniel Powder other than Bad Day, which made it huge in, I think it was 2006. Um, it went three times platinum, meaning it sold three million copies really big deal, um, and, and he talks about, ha- sings about having a bad day, and people are like, yeah, I, I have a bad day, yeah, it's bad, and, um, and some of the lines are, where's the moment when you need it the most, you kick up the leaves and the magic is lost, tell me your blue skies fade to gray, so it's like overcast day, that's a bad day, um, tell me passion's gone away, I don't need to carry on, you stand in line just to hit a new low, so it's overcast and you have to stand in line, oh, what a bad day, and uh, you, you fake a smile. Oh, that's bad. And you, you get a you get a coffee to go, so you're in a rush. Maybe. Oh, what a bad day. And you work up a smile. You go for a ride. That uh, must be a bad day, I guess, to go for a ride. And uh, you had a bad day. And the system uh, says sometimes the system goes blank. Maybe you're, that means your computer doesn't work. And you need a blue sky holiday. And so that's this bad day, and we're like, yeah, bad day. Um, and, and so, like, you, like, it's overcast out, your computer doesn't work, and you had to stand in line, and you, you were rushing around, and you had to get a coffee to go. Like, that's, oh, that's such a bad day. And, and, and my friend, uh, do you guys know John Christ? He's, he's in a lot of Friday Night Show videos. He's, he's, he's working his way into stand-up comedy world. He's kind of like an amateur at this point, but he's doing incredibly good. He, he opened up for uh, Louis Anderson in Las Vegas. Kind of a big deal. And he wrote an article for Stuff Christians Like 
Um, you could go to it today if you wanted to, if you're on your smartphone device. And uh, he wrote, uh, so if you've never been to the, the website Stuff Christians Like, it's just like a funny, silly, like things Christians like. And one of the things that he says Christians like is comparing our situations to Job, like having a bad day. And we're like, oh, I, just, I know exactly how Job feels. And I went to Best Buy and I bought all this stuff. And, and then my credit card, um, it, 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 like the balance rung up wrong. And now I have all these late fees that I have to pay. I know just what it's like to be like Job. It's like, no, you don't. Like Job, the suffering that Job goes through is tremendous. Um, and it's almost like it's, it's so extreme that, that like the Daniel Powder song, Having a Bad Day, is like light and day from like that bad day of like waiting in line and, and, and getting a coffee to go. Like that's a bad day. And then Job is also a bad day because what Job experiences is, is raiders come and, and they destroy all his wealth, everything. And it's not like, you know, if, if you lose all your wealth, you know, you may have fire insurance or you may have flood insurance to, to get your wealth back. Or, but in the ancient days, if you lost all your stuff, you were done. Like you were going to be homeless and, and done for. And on top of all that, he loses all of his children on one day. A storm that knocks over the four winds, the four corners of this house. And the house falls down and all ten kids were in this house and they all died. And that's, that's Job's situation and it's, it's horrible, and it's one of suffering, and it's one that I just look at and, and almost just laugh because it's like, that's so, like, my bad day is like, maybe like Daniel Powder's song, like, oh, it's overcast, and I had to wait in line. Oh, what a bad day. But Job's situation is so tremendously horrible, and, and, and yet there's, like, I'm, I'm doing good now, like, but there's times in my life looking back where bad stuff did happen. I, I've lost people and, and death friends and and looking back i'm like i did go through i have been through some times in my life that were suffering nothing like job's but in those moments of suffering your your whole mindset changes and and you may may or may not respond like job but um just the 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 thing that we're going to study this this all this month as we look at the book of job is suffering and the response of job and his friends and god himself comes to speak, and it's a book that I think needs to be studied. It's a book that um, has to be studied because we all go through suffering. In fact, it was just yesterday, I was, I was right here performing a funeral with Aaron Stern yesterday for two twin girls passed away. And, and the, this, this family, this, this mom and dad who's a, who's a mill couple, I did their wedding a couple years ago, and, and yesterday I was at their funeral performing their their, their graveside service, and then here at the memorial with Aaron. And it was, it was why did this happen? There, there's suffering, and, and that's a bad day, losing both of your children. That's a tremendously horrible day, and a day maybe somewhat like Job's day, where you're just in total grief and sorrow. And, and we have this book of the Bible that is about grief and sorrow. And, and so I, I would say, I would commend it to us to say, this book is worth studying and looking at all this month. It's a book that isn't going to be easy. It's a book that's, that's hard. It's profound. And it, it doesn't, there's nothing in this book that we're like, at the, end of the, at the end of studying this book, we're like, oh, sweet. Let's put that on a Christian t-shirt. And, and it's like, there's, it doesn't work like that. This is a serious human book with a human circumstance of suffering. And it's not an easy book to, to look at and go through. And so that's the challenge before us 
um, today and, and all this month. And, and last week, Aaron Wagner was here, and he spoke and, and started off the conversation with a, uh, an overview of Job and then talked about God's sovereignty. Like, how would, he, how would God allow this bad thing to happen? Was it predestined or did this free will? And we'll, we'll come back to that at the end of this month. But, but that's, that's what's before us, to study the book of Job. So, that's the task. Um, announcements. If you're new to the Mill Sunday School, welcome. Um, Sunday School is a ministry of The Mill, and The Mill meets on Friday nights. If you haven't been to The Mill on Friday nights, you should go. That's our main meeting. We have worship and more of a service. Uh, The Mill Sunday School, of course, we do free breakfast, and uh, it's more of a teaching, and we'll do some discussion like we usually do, like today. Um, And uh, and so if you're new, there's uh, visitor cards on all the tables. If you take that, fill it out, and bring it to the, the table as you leave, we'll actually give you a CD of some of the worship music our band did on a Friday night a while ago. So, cool? Is everybody cool? Is everybody ready for a pop quiz? Oh, yeah, you are. Um, okay, so we have these quizzes. So the, the rules, because you always want to know the rules for the quiz. The, the, the quiz is about the book of Job. So questions about the book of Job. But it's open book. Easy, right? So you could use the Bible, but... You cannot, you have to use a paper Bible, rules. You can only use a paper Bible and your group's knowledge. So you can't, like, use a PDA Bible. You may have a PDA and you may have the Bible on there, but then you could, like, kind of cheat with concordances and look things up or get on the interweb and find answers. No interwebs, no internet, no electronic Bibles, no calling friends, and no shenanigans. Like, you, you do the quiz, so you'll do it as a, as a table. And so some of the bigger tables um, invite other people in so you don't have to do the quiz alone because that would be a really hard quiz to do alone. So just jump in with a, a group of people. And, um, and so the quiz, everybody, well, it's kind of a time quiz. Yeah, give out the quizzes. Some of the leaders have quizzes. So give these out. Keep them closed until everyone gets one. And then, um, and then we'll play the quiz game. All right, does everyone have a quiz? Almost? Ready? Get set. Open the quizzes! All right, pins down. Pins down. Oh, I know. Well, so, so if, you got, if you finished, then you probably knew some of the answers off the top of your head instead of having to look it up. So, uh, good for you. So, did everyone finish? Did anyone finish? Raise your hand if you actually finished. Okay, so it's all right. Well, good enough. Um, all right, number one. So pins down again. How many chapters are in the book of Job? Forty-two should have been a very easy one to let did everybody get that. I'm pretty sure you did. Uh, the next one's a little harder because maybe you had to guess how many verses are in the book of Job. A. Anybody put A? Anybody put B? C. The answer is D. It's just barely over a thousand. It's uh, one thousand two hundred and something. So it's a very long book. If you were in the Book of Job, flipping around, you realize that it's it's one of the longest books of the Bible. It's a very long book, and the whole book could be summarized in like one sentence. You're like, bad stuff happens to Job. Job's friends talk to him. Then God talks to him. Then God kind of restores him in the end. That's the whole summary of the entire book. But the friends talking to Job is, is what takes up 
this, this, each chapter is like long discourses of, of conversation. So it's a very long book. Once again, the answer is D. And um, the next one. When was the book of Job written? Did anyone pick A? It's the oldest book. If you did, give yourself one point. But wait. <clears throat> so it was a, lot of pe- a lot of scholars think that it is the oldest book in the Bible because it is set in a very old time. It's set during the patriarch period, which is sometime between maybe Abraham and uh, Moses, because it, it doesn't refer to the law that's given to Moses. And so a lot of scholars, like it must have been written before that. There's lots of uh, ancient, ancient Hebrew in it. Uh, it's called Hapex Legomenas. Does anyone know what that is? It's like phrases in another, uh, another language that don't occur anywhere else in any other writing that we have. And so we actually don't know what the sentence says or what the word says, like a a word that appears in an ancient document that appears nowhere else. We don't know what that word actually means. And so you have to kind of have to guess from the context. So Job has a lot of those. So we think it's a a very ancient, ancient book. It's set in this very ancient time. But potentially that doesn't mean that that's when it was written. For instance, if you go and watch a movie and the movie is set in the Middle Ages, did they film it in the Middle Ages? No! (laughs) Silly goose. They didn't film it, so it's just set. And so someone could have written it later and just made the setting of Job to be ancient. Um, We don't know. And so if you picked A, give yourself a point. If you picked B, anybody pick B? Nobody? If you did, give yourself a point. Um, Because it could be one of the newest books of the Bible because it's it's so profound. And it's, it's, it's not like other ancient, more simplistic writings in the in the hebrew bible it's much more profound and so it could have been it could be the newest book in the new testament excuse me newest book in the old testament and another big argument for that is that it contains the name of the lord yahweh which is the word i am which was a name given that god gives him god gives us his name when moses and so potentially it's like oh well it couldn't have been written before moses because how would they have had that name? And you're like, oh, maybe it was written ancient, and then the name of God was replaced with another name. So if you picked B, one point. If you picked C, give yourself one point. Anybody pick C? You get one point. Because we just don't know, actually, uh, when it was written. So some people, actually the majority of scholars, so if, if you want to be like really cool, probably the best answer would actually be C. It was written sometime right around or right after Israel's exile. That's what most scholars think think um, because it contrasts it potentially contrasts this ancient prosperity gospel at the time with this idea that if you did good god would bless you if you do bad god will hurt you and so the book of job is kind of anti that prosperity gospel and so um which kind of lasts into jesus time like do you remember the story of jesus and his disciples and they they come up to a blind man and what did the disciples ask they asked jesus who sinned this man or his parents. And Jesus is like, nobody sinned. He's blind. <laughs> um, but it kind of goes like Job's suffering. Like who sinned? Job or somebody else? Because Job is suffering. Anyways, so that if you pick C, uh, that's a good answer. And if you pick D, I think that's also a really good answer. Because we're not sure. Did anyone pick D? Nice. Yeah. Give yourself a point. We don't know. We're not sure. So this kind of a freebie question. 
um, you, we don't know exactly when the book of Job was written, and so we're not sure. So, next question. Kind of a trick question. Um, we'll see in a second. Um, how many sons did Job have? Job 1-2 says he had seven sons and three daughters. Does anybody put seven down? If you put seven, give yourself one point, because that's only half true, um, because he loses all those sons and his three daughters on one day, because the the tornado or something knocks down the house and they all die. But then in the book of Job, at the ending, he has, uh, at the very end of the book of Job, God redeems him, and he has another seven sons and three daughters. And then it talks about how beautiful Job's daughters are. And so the actual answer would be 14. How many of you put 14? I'm impressed. Okay, give yourself two points if you put 14. If you put seven, you only get one point. If you put any other number, you don't get any points. Um, And by the way, uh, an interesting fact about this, like seven sons and three daughters is kind of the ancient, like perfect family. Like, oh, you had seven sons, three daughters. Like that's like in America, it'd be like, oh, you had 1.86 children. That's the perfect family. (laughs) Just kidding. I mean, it would kind of be like if they had a boy and a girl and they, they were beautiful. Like, oh, what a perfect family. This is the ancient context for a perfect family. Seven sons, three daughters. What a great family Job had. And he lost them, etc. Uh, number five, what is Job's wife's only line in the story? Curse God and die. She says a little bit more, but if you have curse God and die, or are you still maintaining your integrity, uh, that's fine. If you have the whole sentence written out, that's fine. Give yourself one point. Um, but it's, it's kind of brutal, don't you think? Like Job's wife, Job is suffering, and, and, and his wife comes up to him and says, Hey, curse God and die. That's pretty brutal. But so, some insight into that verse, um, I want to say two things. The first thing is that Job's wife also lost everything she had, and she also lost her chin children, and so she's also suffering. And so maybe she just said that out of her own suffering. That's the first thing that I wanted to say. And the second thing goes into this um, sidetrack of a, a little bit of the Hebrew behind this verse, which, which may just be a sidetrack or just an interesting thing to know. But the exact phrase, curse God and die, though the word curse there is actually baruch. Does anyone know what that word means? Actually means bless. So Job's wife is, is literally, if you're like very literal, um, translating, you're like, bless God and die. But no translation translates it that way because of the context and because of this idiomatic phrase. An idiom is something you would say that you, it's just kind of a phrase that means something else. Like, like someone could say, oh, this is great. Do they really mean it's great? No, they're sarcastically meaning this is horrible. Um, but, but if you wrote that phrase out, this is great. And, and you'd have to look at context and be like, and then someone from another country and reading it and, 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 and it's not their first language to read that and be like, I don't understand. How do you know it's sarcasm? Well, it's because it's an idiom. Um, like, the, like the phrase, uh, like an actor will go on stage and before the actor goes on stage, do you, do you say good luck to him? No, you say break a leg. And so like, what a weird phrase to say, but it has its own little history. It's an idiomatic phrase, break a leg. Do you really mean that? No, you're, you're wishing him good luck. Um, there's this movie called uh, Outsourced, I think, and it's like this guy goes to India, and it's like all these these customs and different things make for a, an entertaining uh, mix. And um, towards the end, let's say this Indian guy learns the phrase "break a leg," and at the very end of the movie, the the American guy is leaving on a plane, and, and he says, "Sir, may you break both of your legs." <laughs> 
was like, what in the world? No, that's not how you say it. Um, and so, yeah, anyways. Uh, so this phrase, this idiomatic phrase, curse God, bless God and die, is probably an idiom. It's, it's a phrase um, that, that actually is, is translated well when it says curse God and die. But there are people who say it's actually bless God and die. And, and Job's wife is just giving Job permission to, to leave this world. She's just saying, you've been through so much. It's okay to die. Um, and, and she's, she's just kind of in a weird way, like giving him comfort to, to proceed to the next life because he's experienced so much here. Not sure. Sidetrack, I know, but, uh, let's move on. <coughs> um, worth two points. How many friends speak? <coughs> I'm dying. <coughs> I think I got my water. All right. Uh, how many friends speak to Job? How many of you put three? Yeah, so three is a pretty good answer. You could give yourself one point for three friends. But there is a fourth friend who speaks to Job named Elihu. And you could, I guess you could argue whether he's a friend or not. Um, but he, uh, the, the, so give yourself one point if you said three friends. If you put four friends, give yourself two points. Because four people actually end up conversing with Job. And they're considered his comforters or his friends. Which is very weird that they're called friends and comforters because what they say to him we'll we'll look at that next week is not very nice they kind of accuse him of doing wrong that's why you're suffering it's like someone's suffering they just lost their kids and everything and they're like you must have done something wrong what's idiots anyways so one point for three friends two points for four friends uh number seven name as many of job's friends as possible uh you don't have to get the full the Ilphaz, the Tamanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, Zophar, the Naamathite, and Elihu, the Buzzite. Um, I kind of gave it away. Kind of gave away question number six because this question was worth four points. Did anyone else notice that? You're like there must be four names. Duh. Um, but if you just have Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and Elihu, g- give yourself one point for each name. That's totally cool. So count out how many you got correct. They have to be spelled correctly. I mean, you had the Bible in front of you. I don't know how you misspell it. But uh, so. Number eight, what's God's opening line to Job? Did anybody know this off the top of their head? That's, it's a pretty cool line in the book. Um, and so you could get credit for any part of this, but it's in verse 38, excuse me, chapter 38, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Some translations translate it, uh, who is this who darkens my counsel? Um, if you put any of that, or verse 3, I like a lot. Brace yourself like a man. <laughs> if you just put that, that's worth a point. Uh, <coughs> uh, if you put, I will question you, you'll answer me, that's great. Or where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. If you put any of those things or combination thereof or directly quoted it, you get the one point. Um, did anybody get that? Everybody? Anybody? Oh, sweet. Got it. Um, this one was a fun one, I thought. I just think this image is so funny because he talks about this beast. God God starts to speak. He says, brace yourself like a man. I'm going to question you. You'll answer me. And he says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Um, look at the ocean, how it roars. I made that. Look at the mountains, how big and awesome they are. I made that. Look at the behemoth. Look how awesome this monster is. I made that. And then he says, look at this beast, le- the Leviathan. And um, he's, he's, it's supposedly a whale in, in the ancient world. You know, they didn't have textbooks to tell them what a, a whale was and so i'm sure sailors would come back with stories of a giant sea monster and and job uh god says to job can you put a a leviathan can you hook him with a fish hook can you tie him down with ropes no you can't that's stupid um 
Uh, well, here's a line I like. Will it speak to you with gentle words? No, it won't. Um, and it says, uh, you, you will lay your hand on the beast. You will, you will remember the struggle and never do that again. Um, and then in Job 41, verse, uh, what is it? Uh, about the little girls, the girls, where is it? Five, Job 41, five. Can you make a pet of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young women in your house? No, you can't. You can't do that. So the correct answer is Leviathan. How many of you got Leviathan? Did anybody know Leviathan uh, without even looking at it? Sweet. Good work. Um, so that's Leviathan. One point. And the final question. The tiebreaker, maybe. Worth five points. Uh, what is the ultimate reason for Job's suffering as stated by the book? And this is what we will spend the rest of this month kind of talking about and discussing and um, researching and looking into because the answer is mind-blowing. The answer is is wild. Um, it, it kind of says in, in Job 2, verse 3, um, and this is the Lord and, and Satan, and we'll talk about that in, in a minute. They, they are having a conversation. Um, the God is speaking to the accuser, and the accuser uh, basically says, you know, you've, God says, have you considered my servant Job? He's righteous. And, and Satan's like, yeah, but he has all this great stuff. Take it away and he'll curse you. And then, and then a- after he takes away all his stuff um, and all his children, the Lord says to Satan. So it's who's speaking? The Lord. Who's speaking? The Lord. And here's what he says. Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless and he's upright. A man who fears God, shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity. Although you... So who's he talking to? Although you, he's talking to Satan, although you incited me against him to ruin him. And I'll stop there and, and I'll say, who ruined Job? God. Like Satan enticed God or tempted God, but who did the ruining? God. He takes, God does take the full credit for the ruining. And at the end of the book of Job, and, and that that uh, section of narrative, Satan's not even mentioned, and it, it's God said, I brought this disaster upon you. I, and you. So Satan incited God, but who did the ruining? Who did it? It was God. You incited me to, against him to ruin him without any reason. So God does the ruining, and then the, the last three words are mind-blowing to me, and, and, and the reason why we need to study this book and look at it and try to wrap our minds around it, because God ruins Job without any reason. And so if you put no reason, you get five points. If you put nothing, you get five points. If you put I'm not sure, you get five points. If you put anything other than that, you don't get the five points. And if, especially if you put like some Christian cheesy thing like uh, God loved Job's children so much that he picked them like flowers to have in heaven, you should lose five points. Uh, because this, this book is just so much more profound than a, than a cheesy answer as to why Job suffered. Like, oh, Job, you're suffering because God was going to give it all back to you and, and thumbs up, man. That's, a, that's, that's not the answer 
given in the book of Job. And, and thank God we have the rest of the Bible to know that God is good and that there, there is maybe reasons for suffering that, that are explained elsewhere in the, in the text of Scripture. But in the book of Job, it's not really there. Did anyone get that one right, either by saying no reason or by leaving it blank? You get five points for leaving it blank, even if you accidentally left it blank. Um, all right, so add up your points. Um, who is going to get the big clip art, uh, big prize clip art? That's what you get for winning. Um, did anybody get a perfect score? This table in the front? That's why they're in the front, people. You sit in the front, you sit with good people, and that's why you need to be in the front. You're the, you're the only group that got... No one else got a full... Are you kind of mad at the quiz? There was kind of some trick questions. Are you mad at me? Is everyone mad at me? Sorry. Um... All right, so that's the quiz. You hopefully maybe passed. Um, maybe you didn't. Did anybody just miss one question? A couple groups? Okay. <laughs> Yikes. I guess it was a little harder than I thought. I, I, maybe I didn't give you enough time, too, because potentially you could have looked up a lot more answers. But uh, let's move on. We have about 15 minutes to talk about an overview for the book of Job. And so we're going to try to get through all this stuff, the background, genre, storyline, talk about Satan, his friends, and then God speaks very, very briefly as in an overview. And so the overview of the book of Job, let's talk about the background for just a second. And usually at the Mill Sunday School, we love talking about background stuff. Do you like hearing about background stuff? Yes, because I, I mean, I love, I mean, if we're going to, like, I just remember, maybe, the, I'm not sure what the last book we just studied. I remember studying uh, a little while ago the book of Corinthians, and uh we took, I think the book, we, st- we study books and topics per month. And so I think we took two weeks of this month just to talk about the background to where Corinth is and what Paul was, why he was there and why he would write this letter. And then the last two weeks, we actually got into the letter. The book of Job, um, in some ways, if you, if you like hearing about background stuff, you, you're not going to like the book of Job, because we just don't know too much background of the book of Job, i.e., who wrote it, when did they write it, why did they write it, who did they write it to, what was going on in the context of the book. We don't know. And so that talk is, isn't going to be really here because we just don't know. And, um, and, and because we don't know, we're going to jump right into the book of Job. And so we'll jump right into this overview. Some of you may really like that. Some of you, like me, are like, man, I, I want to know the background. Because if I knew the background, it would give us insight into understanding more about this book. But unfortunately, we just don't have it. The book begins with, there was a man named Job in the land of Uz, U-Z. And we don't even know where that's at. Uh, sometimes people say... It, it, it's Edom, and here's a map of Edom. I don't know if you could see that from the back, but there's Israel uh, and Egypt and somewhere, maybe somewhere in between Egypt and Israel. It could be Edom. It could be. But here's some other places it could be as well. It could be Southern Arabia. It could be Darfur. It could be uh, Bashan. It could be Syria. It could be Jordan. It could be Arabia. It could be Petra. It could be modern-day Uzbekistan. It could be anywhere. In fact, the word us just means it comes from, uh, it could come from, we don't even know that, it could come from a word that means east. And so here's a man named Job. He's from the east. East of what? Who knows? How far east? Who knows? We don't know where Job is from. We don't know who wrote the book of Job. Um, We just don't know. We do know it's genre. It's genre, if you want to write it down, is a didactic poem. 
It's a, a kind of poem that's uh, meant for, uh, it's a book itself is comprised of a didactic poem. It's, it's set in prose, which means it's, it kind of rhymes and has this pattern to it. And it's this, this, this ancient way of writing that's a conversation. Like it's, it was probably written by one person. I don't know. We don't know, though. I shouldn't say that. Um, and, and it was it was just a conversation going back and forth. If you if you've read Greek writing, um, Plato, and and the some of the ancient BC writings, you know that they often wrote in in prose. They would go back and forth. It's like two people talking. And so that's what the whole book is, like this big, thick book of two people talking. You're like, wow, that's sweet. Um, and I guess it was sweet because, I mean, they didn't have TVs and stuff back then, and so their only, you know, fun stuff was to sit around and talk. Um, can't imagine doing that today. I mean, let's, why don't we just go watch TV, right? Um, just kidding. Lighten up. Gosh. Anyways, what was I even saying? Um, anyways, it's... It's a didactic poem. That's what I was saying. So, uh, which brings us kind of to this question is, is did Job actually happen? Or is this a historical thing? Or is this more poetic? And could it be a parable? Once again, we just don't know. We don't know because we don't even know when it was written. We don't know where it was written. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know who wrote it to whom. We don't know. And so some people would lean towards, oh, it, it has to be literal because that's how the Bible works. It has to be literal because then it's true. And then I would say, well, lots of other portions of Scripture are not literal and they're still true. Like Jesus telling the parable of the Good Samaritan or Jesus telling the parable of the prodigal son that leaves and, and lives up a life of sin and then comes back to his father. Is that story true? Yes, it's true. Is it literal? No, it's not literal. It's a parable, but it's still true and it has the truth of god's word and so it's still true and so um it's whether it's literal or not i I don't know that we can even answer that question i don't know if it should be the biggest question about the book of job um rather than getting into it and studying it as truth it's true whether it's literal or parable does that make sense okay hopefully it does um and hopefully it's not because sometimes just saying things that like oh it might not be literal it might throw you back and be like whoa does that mean it's not true no it's true it's just it may be literal. It may not be. If it is literal, then someone would actually have to know um, from the, the actual God's standpoint, from the beginning of the prose and the end of the prose, they would have to be there writing all these conversations down. Then they'd have to be there when God spoke to Job. And so if it is literal, it, it, to me it would be more surprising if it was literal. So I would lean towards it being figurative or parable, but I would very quickly say it's true. It's, it's in the Bible. It's in the context of the canon. It's true. It's worth studying whether it actually literally historically happened or not. But we don't know, so it could have happened. Okay, cool. Uh, the storyline of the book, you can pretty much summarize the, the book of Job in one sentence. Uh, God brings suffering upon Job. Job has conversations with his friends, and then God kind of res- God speaks to Job, and then Job, God uh, kind of restores Job. That's the story. But the storyline, that, that's a quick storyline, but just doesn't summarize anything about the conversation that Job has with his friends or this beginning part with Satan that is this interesting character in the book of Job. And so let's talk a second about Satan because sometimes people are quick to say, oh, Satan did all this to Job and, and God just allowed it. But if you actually read the book, that you, you'll quickly realize that God takes the full responsibility of Job's suffering. And, it, and Satan, this guy, or not guy, he's whatever he is, he's Satan, uh, <laughs> shows up in heaven, which is kind of weird, 
and incites God or tempts God, some translations say, to, to, to have God make Job suffer. And Satan here in this context, because we really don't know when it's written, we're, we're not, we should just refer to Satan. In the Hebrew, it's just ha-satan. It's the Satan. And, and Satan just is this like legal word for adversary, someone who, who, who accuses, and uh, not adversary, someone who accuses you. He's the accuser, someone who is in court saying, this person has done wrong. This person needs, uh, needs punishment. So they're the accuser. And and so we have this long history of Satan, and I was going to recommend um, that the History Channel put out a history of Satan, um, which was very fascinating. Um, you can watch it on YouTube for free. Just type in History of the Devil and uh, watch that, because that's loads of fun. Um, and it's a, it's a five-part thing, so it's 50 minutes, and it tracks the history of the Hebrew Bible, the New Testament, into the Middle Ages, all this, this history of, of where, you know, why do we, when, when someone says Satan, we picture a red guy with horns and a pitchfork. Well, where does that come from? Because that's not really ever in the Bible. Well, that comes from the Middle Ages, but, you know, it keeps, you know, this idea that, that he's the one prodding sinners in hell or something like that. Like, that's kind of christian folklore in some ways and um and so anyways the the just going back to the book of job um we have we we bring all our baggage onto satan we say oh this this character who's full of evil when maybe the book of job was just saying an accuser an accuser came to god and he said i'm accusing job of of living righteously because you've blessed him what if we were to take away those things and and then god does and he does it ends up being that god doesn't that job does not curse god Anyways, uh, the friends of Job, you named them in the quiz. Um, there's this long conversation that that is what makes the book of Job so long. The going back and forth between Job's friends and Job. Here is the cycle. Here, if you can uh, decipher the pattern. So uh, the prologue, and then Job speaks, then Eliphaz, then Job, then Bildad, then Job, then Zophar, then Job, then Eliphaz, then Job, then Bildad, then Job, then Zophar, then Job, then Eliphaz, then Job, then Bildad, and then Job, and then Elihu, and then God, Job, God, Job. Closing narrative. That's the whole book of Job. Did you hear the, did you hear the rhyme, the, the, the going back and forth? It's basically Job and a friend speaks. And then Job gets to respond to the friend. And then another friend pipes up, and Job responds to him. And then another friend pipes up, and Job responds to him. And that, that goes on for chapter after chapter in this book of his friends. And we'll get into this next week. His friends basically saying, Job, you must have done something wrong here. And Job saying, no, I didn't do anything wrong. And they have all this beautiful poetry to go along with what they're saying. And that is basically the conversation. And it ends with, of course, God Speaking after all the friends speak, after Job speak, God pretty much shows up and says, "Shut up, listen to me." And He speaks, and and God's spoken word to Job is like, "Look at what all I've created." Basically, I mean, Job keeps asking this question, well, "Why have I suffered?" And his friends are giving him answers, He's like, "No, that's not right." Then God finally shows up, and does God answer the question? Not really. He's, he shows up and says, look how awesome the things that I've made. I'm even more awesome than that. All the wonder of this world, I am more wondrous because I made it. I'm sovereign, which goes back to what we talked about last week. And so it's, it's a very interesting book. It's very profound. And so which just begs this question after our quick review or overview of the book. How do we find truth in this book? 
Because if so much of the book is a conversation between Job and his friends, how do we know who's actually telling the truth? And it's always fascinating to me when people like quote the book of Job, because the majority of the book of Job is Job's friends talking. And they don't say what is right. And so if you're quoting the book of Job, chances are like 35% of what's in the book of Job is not right. And so if you're quoting the book of Job, like blah, 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 book of Job 15.1 or something, you're probably quoting something that's actually false. Um, and you're maybe twisting it and you're like, oh, doesn't this sound nice? Yeah, it sounds nice, but it's actually said by one of Job's friends and they don't say what is right. And so how do we know how to find truth in this book? Well, it's to know who's speaking truth and to know who's speaking, A, and to know if they're speaking truth or not. And so I'm going to give you, hopefully very quickly, um, and hopefully this will make somewhat of sense. I told someone that, uh, about this analogy, and they were just like, what? <laughs> so hopefully at the end of explaining this analogy, you won't be like, what? <laughs> we'll see. Have you seen the movie, uh, has anybody seen Memento? It came out a long time ago. Uh, it is rated R. There's a lot of swearing, and uh, there's like a killing scene. So I am not, repeat, not telling you you need to go out to see this movie to understand the book of Job. I'm not even saying go see it. I'm just saying if you have seen it, then maybe this analogy will make sense because it's about the guy. Uh, who's that guy? His name is, uh, uh, he's like a famous actor. Guy Pierce, yeah. And he plays the role of this person that... Uh, uh, witnesses his wife get murdered and then he gets hit on the head and then he can't he is the the actual um diagnosed thing is called antrograde amnesia he cannot make any new memories and so he just has the memory from before the accident like he knows how to speak english and write and drive and ride a bike because he did that before the accident but then after the accident he like every about five minutes three or four minutes he, he just totally loses where he's at like where am I? Uh, oh, why are these people looking at me right now? What am I doing right here, standing in front of the, the... What is this? Like, he just loses all track of everything. And so he has these pictures in his pocket that he takes pictures of a Polaroid camera to remind himself who he's talking to and, and people and situations. So he took a picture of this girl. It's like, this girl will help me out of pity. And so he's like, oh, who are you? Oh, this girl is someone who's going to help me. Then he has another guy, another friend. And he takes a picture of him. And on it, it says, this is Teddy, uh, don't believe his lies. And then it goes, it goes on from there. He writes more down. I don't want to give away the story. But it's, it's, it's filmed in such a weird way that it's filmed backwards to frontwards so that you as the, as the audience are really confused and, and you need the, the notes yourself to understand who is talking and what's going on. And so that's the story. He, he basically writes mementos to himself to understand what's going on. So if you get really confused in the book of Job and you're like, who is saying what is true? I don't understand. Should I trust this person or should I not trust this person? I've thought like maybe we should have some mementos of our own to understand the book of Job. So things to keep in mind. God. So if you had like a Polaroid picture of God, what would you say about God? Well, maybe you'd say trust his words. They are truth. He knows everything. So God is God. Like he's He's the good guy. We can trust what he says because he knows the beginning and the end. He knows everything. We can trust him. What he speaks is true. And then you get uh, to this statement at the end of the book of Job. Uh, God says this. The Lord had said these things to Job. After he said these things to Job, uh, basically he speaks. He says this to Eliphaz, the Tamanite. I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So what do you get from this? Well, you get that 
The two friends, along with Eliphaz, don't say what is right. And you get this idea that what Job said was right. So some more mementos. The three friends, if you had a picture of the three friends, they say what is wrong. Uh, They say what they say is wrong. And so they, they don't speak truth. Maybe some of what they say is true, but they're rebuked by God. And so we should not trust their words. Job, if we had a Polaroid of Job, he speaks the truth about God. Because God, because from the first memento, we know that God's words are true. And God said that Job spoke what is true about him. He said the three friends, they say what is wrong. And then the, uh, the other main character in the book of Job is this dude, Elihu. And he's not mentioned in that rebuke. So he is not rebuked. What he says may have truth to it. So as you're reading the book of Job, and I would encourage you to, to flip through it and to read and to get your mind and, and your, your, just your head into some of this poetry and understanding of this conversation that goes back and forth, we can know that what God says is true. The three friends, they're rebuked in the end. So we shouldn't trust what they're saying, but we should trust what Job says. And Elihu, this last person to speak before God himself, um, what he says may have some truth to it. So is, there any, is anyone like, What? Remember, I prefaced the uh, analogy with like, at the end of this, you might be like, what? Anybody? You cool? You look cool. I mean, you look like you're understanding what I'm saying. And so it's, it's with that understanding of the book of Job that we'll, we'll probably bring up the mementos next time so that we can understand some of this writing because we'll get into the book of Job and talk about what the friends are saying. But let's conclude today with just this idea that... Um, um, the, the no reason idea. The ultimate answer for why Job suffers isn't there. There's no reason. The ultimate reason isn't given in the book of Job. And it, it's this, man, he's like, he suffers. And the whole book is like him trying to figure out why he suffered and his friends telling him why he suffered. And in the end, God speaks. And, and God doesn't really give the answer as to why Job suffered other than no reason, uh, which isn't a reason, of course. And, and so it's this very confusing, uh, profound book of the Bible that, that has to do with the justice of God, the sovereignty of God, something that we'll talk about later this month, the problem of evil. It's not an easy book. Um, but I kind of want to go back to, to yesterday for me, um, doing the funeral for the, for the two girls, that, the two twin girls that passed away to a, a mill couple because I, I read a passage of the book of Job, and I'll read that passage in a minute. Because, for, for a couple reasons, um, because Job lost all his children, I thought the story of Job could be appropriate for them and, and may encourage them somehow. But because there's no answer in the book of Job as to why they're suffering, I almost saw that as a good thing. Because I think the last thing you want to hear when you're undergoing suffering is exactly what Job's friends pointed their fingers at and did to Job, reasons why they suffered. They don't want to hear reasons why. They wanted to be comforted. And, and so uh, in the end, God speaks. And I think that in and of itself is somewhat of an answer to be held, that, that God was there. God, um, and, and we know from the rest of Scripture that our God is a God who suffers, who is close to those that are brokenhearted. And in the end, God speaks this idea that why was there suffering and and devastation of Job's life? I'm not sure, but we do know that God spoke and we do know that God was there. And so the passage I I read yesterday was Job 19. And Job says this, he prefaces it with verse 23. He says, 
Oh, that my words were recorded and written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. So what he's about to say, he wishes it would be writ- written somewhere for everyone. And it's so important. In verse 25, the famous verse, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth after my skin has been destroyed. Yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another How my heart yearns within me. So I read this scripture yesterday at the funeral. And I said, our hope is that the the little girl's redeemer lives. Our hope is that our redeemer lives. And that we'll see him someday. That's our ultimate hope. But there's also this hope that those that are suffering will also get to experience God in some way. Because God surprises Job before he dies. So Job's hope is that when I die, I will see God God shows up and and Job experiences God before his death. And that's this hope that we can have that in our suffering, we can experience God. And no, that's no answer to why Job suffered, but it's it's some sort of conclusion that that God was there. And so with that idea, let's just pray. Let's pray to a sovereign God that we trust. God, we do thank you. We praise you for this, this book of Job. God, may we understand this book better. May you give us insights into this book, especially in times of our own suffering. May you remind us of the truth behind uh, some of the things and the the ideas in this book that, that you are sovereign, that you speak to those, that you are close to those that are suffering. So God, we praise you and we do trust you no matter what. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody, you're officially dismissed. Peace out.